Hey, today is the third part of my summer reflections. Uh, every year when I go on vacation, I take a passage of scripture and I just meditate on it for a, a number of hours because I have that freedom during vacation. A vacation is not a vacation from God. And as I've been saying over the past two weeks, I took a look at John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Most of you know it by now, but would you stand for the reading of God's word? And would you read along with me since you know it by now? On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, uh, whom the, those who believed in him were yet later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You may be seated. Why? First week we talked about why this passage of Scripture. Because evil is ever-present, and we as Christians today face many challenges, I saw the merciful, almighty God has given us a solution for these conditions. That's the why. The what is the promise in this verse. The promise is streams of of living water will flow from within, from, from his innermost beings, streams of living water, rivers, springs of living waters will flow from his innermost being out of him. By this, he meant the spirit. That's the promise. My next question was, when? And it said up to this time, the spirit hadn't been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified and three weeks ago, we took a look at John chapter 20. On the first evening of the first day of the week, after Jesus had been resurrected, the disciples, his followers, were in a room behind closed doors, and the resurrected Jesus Christ in his glorified body entered that room, and he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on, the, on, on people. And, and the people were bewildered. They were confused. They didn't, what does this mean? And, and Peter stood and gave their address. This is what the prophet Joel said. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So the, now, the when is the now. It's today. His spirit is being poured out. Of course, then we ask the question, who? And the who is? Anyone. Anyone. And I said, I personally have never met someone who doesn't qualify as an anyone. Anyone. So last week we started getting into, with every promise, there are conditions. Growing up, you know, there were parents promised, well, there was conditions to fulfill before they made good on that promise. And we started looking at the conditions to this promise, the how. And we took a look at, is anyone thirsty? 
and we equated thirst to a desire. There's got to be a desire. Then the hard one, anyone thirsty, let them come to me. Well, how do you come to Jesus? And, and, and meditating on this for a long period of time, overlooking the water, I, I shared with you what I wrote down. Come to him is an awareness of his presence and maintaining an awareness of his presence. Awareness of his presence. You're thirsty, you have an awareness of his presence. Now, today, we look at number three. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, after wrestling over, come to me. I go, this is a simple one, drink. You wrap your fingers around a glass of water. You lift it up to your lips. You have to open your mouth. You start filling your mouth with the water. And then through a sucking motion called swallowing, you take the water. And the water goes down into your body and it starts doing its work. Within the context of our scripture, the, the, the work that it does is it quenches your thirst. But how many more know that water does a lot more than just quench thirst? Here we go. A little science lesson. Water regulates body temperature. On many different mission trips with young people, it always, going down in the southern part, kids would always get dehydrated. One of the first signs of dehydration, fever, aches. They get a little disoriented. They get stomach sickness. Water regulates body temperature. It moistens tissues. Eyes, nose, creates saliva, saliva, so you can swallow. Protects body organs. It carries nutrients uh, uh, and oxygen to, to the cells. It, it lubricates joints. It, it flushes out toxins uh, through the, through the uh, kidneys and, and through the liver. And, and it dissolves minerals and nutrients so, so that they can be transported. And as I started to think about what water is to the physical body, follow along with me. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, the analogy is water to the body. But in this scripture verse, he likens water to the Holy Spirit. So I started to think, okay, like water is to the body, what is the spirit to our spiritual lives? Now that's how I went down this little rabbit trail. And I went to John chapter 14, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And in John chapter 14, to comfort his disciples, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to you and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So he's comforting the hearts of his disciples for his departure. And then after the comfort, what does he talk about? He starts to talk 
about the Holy Spirit. It's necessary that I go. Unless I go, the Father won't send the Comforter. The Father won't send the Counselor. The Father won't send the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Now, that word Counselor in the Greek is paraclete. It means literally one who comes alongside. Jesus says, it's necessary for me to go because I will ask the Father to send one who comes light alongside of you to be an aid, a counselor, one to give you guidance, one to give you wisdom, one to help you. And and notice it's the spirit of truth. So this counselor is a wise counselor that will lead you in ways, that will guide you in ways of truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. I'm telling you, there are times where I'm sitting here and I'm reading and I don't understand what I'm reading. Spirit, you're the spirit of truth. Can you reveal? I remember before giving my life to Jesus Christ, I would try to read the Bible and it meant nothing to me. Once I became a Christian and the Holy Spirit became a part of my life, I'm telling you, there's things that the Spirit revealed that I never saw before. The Spirit reveals truth. Paraclete, counselor, comforter. Come on, how many times have you been in a dire need situation? A loss of the loved one. And the Holy Spirit just came and brought comfort to you. He's a helper. He's an advocate. The paraclete is used in a legal sense. It's it's almost like a a, a legal aid, a, a defense attorney. Folks, we need a defense attorney because there's a prosecutor. His name is the devil. He's the persecutor of the brethren. And I'm telling you, there's sometimes when he can mess with your mind and thank God for a defense counsel, thank for an advocate who comes alongside of us and say, no, it's not true. I've been washed by the blood. I've been sanctified. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. And all these accusations that are being fired against against me are not true. That's what the Spirit does for us. An advocate is also one who speaks on our behalf, who intercedes for us. And I'm telling you, there's a, in Romans chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot be expressed. And I'm telling you, I use this illustration all the time. I remember years ago, running my granddaughter, who was having a seizure, who was turning blue, with my daughter in the car, running her to the hospital. And thank God for the Spirit who intercedes. I'm trying to drive. Her mother doesn't really know. What do you pray in that time? And thank God for the Spirit who intercedes. That as I'm driving to the hospital, Pastor Bonnie is just there speaking in tongues all the way for the, her daughter, who is actually up here worshiping today. <laughs> there are times, I'm telling you, where you not know what to do. And thank God for the intercession of the Holy Spirit who prays through us. He empowers us. Empowers us for witnessing. Empowers us for the challenges of life. 
empowers us to say no to the temptation of sin. Like water is to the body, do you see what the spirit is to the spiritual being of how he functions within us? He sanctifies us. He convicts us of sin. But now, going back to this illustration, I I have to point something out. This water does not do anything if it's just near me. Do you hear me? Come to me. Okay? But it doesn't... And even if I lift it up and, and put it to my lips... It still is not doing anything. So, perfect, right on key. You have to partake in order for it to be of value. In order for it to be in you, you have to partake. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sitting there on the beach overlooking the ocean, and it's all starting to come together. If anyone is thirsty, you have this desire. You come to him. You have this awareness of his presence, but you also have to partake. It has to be in you. It has to be a part of you. So then I started to try to mess with my mind a little bit. Okay, drink. But drink what? What are we to drink? And because the analogy likens the spirit to water, the simple explanation is, well, we drink of the Holy Spirit. But listen to me now. In the context, the Holy Spirit isn't flowing yet. Who says, come to me? Jesus. What are we to drink? What are we partake of? We're to partake of Jesus. Remember last week I said it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Well, how do you partake of Jesus? I'll tell you how you partake of Jesus. You begin to read the word and you study his life. You begin to read his promises. You begin to read his teachings. You begin to do a study on his life. And and I'm telling you, every day in my devotions, this is my prayer. Lord, I want to be more like you. As I read about your life, and I read about your being, and I read about your characteristics, as I read about who you are, I want to partake. I want to be more like you. Like John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. And I love how uh, Paul puts it to the church at Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but who? Christ lives in me. You, you're, you, you have this desire, you come to him, but then you have to partake of him uh, in communion, in fellowship, in prayer, in reading of his word, where his life now becomes your life. That's how I see of the partaking. 
So there's this desire, this thirst. You come, you partake. But yet there's one more condition that has to be filled. Whoever believes in me. You got it? It's always about Jesus. You believe. What does it mean to believe in him? To believe in him means that we're accepting his integrity. That he doesn't lie. That he's honest. That he's a person of his word. That he will not mislead you. Jesus is a man of integrity. That's what you believe. He's truth personified. He's God in the flesh. Truth personified. And he's the foundation. He's the bedrock of faithfulness. That if he said it, so it will be. So there's this belief in what he says is true. And he will fulfill what he says and what he promises. And if he promises that springs of living water from your innermost being will flow. By this he means the spirit. If he said it, that means he will do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. But then I asked myself the question. And I've always said the best way of learning is by asking questions. And I sit there and I try to, I guess, play with my mind. But how do you believe? How do you believe? And I immediately went back how do I know I'm saved? Because I believe I'm saved. But how do you believe you're saved? Because I know I'm saved. But how do you know you're saved? Because I believe I'm saved. And I went to Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. You know what that word justified means? That word justified means just as if you have not sinned. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can stand in the presence of a holy God justified just as if you have never sinned. And it's with your mouth that you confess that you are saved. That's part of baptism. Baptism is that public confession that Jesus Christ is Lord in your life. If you believe in your heart, there used to, there used to be a saying, don't miss heaven by 12 inches. Don't miss heaven by 12 inches. I measured it. It's 12 inches. Maybe it's 14 for you. I don't know. It's not just... A mere intellectual understanding. 
But sometimes that mere intellectual understanding has to make its way down to the heart. You got it? Now, how do you know you're saved? Because you had an intellect one time that Jesus died for your sins. And that dying for your sins and him being resurrected, it, that intellectual knowledge made it down into your heart where you what? Believed. And it's the same way with this promise. What is this promise? The promise is that springs, streams of, of, of living water, of the Holy Spirit will, will flow from your innermost being. We may have knowledge of it, but at some point the knowledge has to be transferred into the heart. Now, how do we transfer knowledge to the heart? I love what the psalmist says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But how do we transfer mere knowledge to the heart? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the psalmist says. And he meditates on it day and night. Not, that doesn't mean you're not to sleep. But it just means that there's a continual thought. There's this continual thought that Jesus died for my sins. I am forgiven. And that seed gets planted in your heart. And you just keep meditating and you meditate. And all of a sudden, the intellectual knowledge becomes this heart knowledge where you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God. we got to move on here. With this promise, there's this knowledge that as you keep meditating on this verse, will take seed in your heart. Will you believe? Now, let me just talk about faith for a moment. Because over the years, there's been a lot of <sighs> abuses when it comes to faith. Brother, you, you, you don't have this overflowing because you don't have enough faith. You just need more faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith the size of a little tiny mustard seed. So a lot of times we condemn people for not having enough faith when Jesus says, all you need is a little faith the size of a mustard seed. And then, let me give you this illustration in Mark. Remember a man had a son and his son was demon-possessed and, and this boy would keep throwing himself in the flames and, and the disciples were trying to pray for him and they couldn't. And Jesus comes on the scene and this man comes up and he says, I have this boy and, and he, he's possessed with this evil spirit and he keeps convulsing and he throws himself in the flames and I brought him to your disciples and, and they, they prayed but nothing could happen. And Jesus said, how long has he been like this? And the man says, since childhood, and if you can do, and, and if you can, and if you can do, and Jesus says, and if I can, all things are possible to those who believe. 
if I can, all things are possible to those who believe. And what did that man say in return? Immediately the boy's father said, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. Don't you just love it? So honest. And, and I, listen, this is what I think. I believe the man is saying, I believe up here. I have this knowledge that you're a healer. I have this knowledge of all the other times you've been helping people, but help my unbelief. Got it? And I'm telling you, that boy didn't walk away the way he was. Jesus healed him. If anyone is thirsty, that's the desire. Let them come. Let them have this awareness of my presence. Let them partake. Let it get in you. And then believe. And the promise is what? Springs of living water. Now, we are a Pentecostal church. What do we mean by Pentecostal church? We believe that what took place in Pentecost is still for today. Now, I don't want you to get all weirded out. There has been a lot of abuses over the years when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you pure knowledge. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, people what? Spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, I believe, Peter's followers are there and they're amazed because these Gentiles had received this, this immersion in the Holy Spirit. How did they know that these people were immersed in the Holy Spirit? Scripture says they heard them speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to a place called Ephesus. And he says to these believers, have you received the Holy Spirit? And these believers say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Peter, uh, Paul says, what baptism did you receive? We received John's baptism. And Paul says, ah, uh, there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he laid his hands on them. And it says they received the Holy Spirit. They, they received this infilling. They received this overflowing, this immersion. Because they spoke in tongues. That's facts. That's what's in the Bible. That there's a pattern. When everyone is ever immersed, immersed in the Holy Spirit, there's this overflowing and the pattern is they speak in tongues. And we say that this overflowing is for, oh, but wait, Pastor. In, in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asks these rhetorical questions. 
Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all have the gift of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all interpret? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Right there it is. Do all speak in tongues? If the answer is no, how is it for every, anyone? For everyone. In the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is referring to ministry gifts. Ministry gifts. Healing, wisdom, knowledge, working miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and interpretation. Nine gifts he talks about. Those nine gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are for the edification of the church. We call them public tongues. Where if there's a message in tongues in public, it is therefore translated not to bring confusion. And what I think is so interesting is it says in Scripture, tongues is for the unbeliever. What I just talked about with the baptism and when the Spirit intercedes... It's not a public tongue, but it's a personal, private tongue. That when one is immersed in the Holy Spirit, it's a personal prayer language that God gives to you. And Scripture says that when you pray in tongues, it's your spirit that prays. Your mind is unfruitful. That's what Scripture says right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 14, when you pray, it's your spirit that prays when you speak. Not, your, your mind is unfruitful and even talks about when you sing in the spirit. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more beautiful than to hear someone singing in the spirit. Oh my goodness. It's a personal prayer language that this ministry is for everyone The public tongue is for those who God chooses. This private, personal tongue is for anyone. Now, let me just say this. There's this knowledge. But because of the abuses, don't let it wreck you of your knowledge. Now, some people will say this. Well, those gifts were only given to the early church to jumpstart the church. Well, let me say this. If there was ever a day that church needed a jumpstart, it's today. And I, because of the abuses and teachings over the years, everybody gets weirded out. But I thought, as I overlooked just the water of the ocean, this is what I thought. You never know when a day is coming. When you're in such turmoil and devastation and disaster has come upon you, you don't know how to pray. Well, I pray that there will be this knowledge. And at that moment, you can say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the Spirit will pray through you. I close. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Worship team, you can come. We're going to close with just...
focusing on Jesus this morning. The night as a teenager I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, my sister came to the altar at the same time. She did not receive. And I'm telling you, over the years, that just was, was a wedge. And she went to churches that didn't deny it, but didn't practice it. And she felt comfortable. It was about three weeks ago, as I was studying all this, thinking about this, contemplating on this, I get a call from my sister one day. She goes, is it wrong if I speak in tongues? I go, no. And I'm like, what's going on? She says, well, it's because of some health issues and some family issues. And she says, I'm telling you, I don't know how to pray anymore. And the other day, I was just in bed before the Lord. And she says, I don't know what happened. But she said, I just started uttering these words I didn't know. And she said, I, I had a knowledge of what it was. But now I believe what it is. What am I saying? For years, she waited for God to fulfill that promise. And what happens is a lot of times we have this big service where we're going to have people baptized in the Holy Spirit and there's so much pressure and there's so much confusion there's so much stress and, and it's like, ah, relax. If you're kind of weirded out by it, there's a pamphlet in the back of, our, uh, 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 of this. You can take it on the way. You can read about it. it there's, there's nothing to stress about it. It's, it's, it's in God's Word. It's throughout history throughout generations. You just relax. And you seek Jesus. And in his time, at that moment, in your life, with that knowledge, comes a belief. You can't do anything on your own. We try to stir it up. We, we try. To... All I'm saying is, it's an experience that's true. Seek Jesus. And in his time, have a trusting confidence that as you come to him, as you're aware of his presence, and you desire him, and you partake and you believe, in God's time, at that right moment, He will fulfill this promise in your life. Would you stand? Can we can we just seek can we just seek Jesus this morning?